listen to the word of the Lord through Paul in Galatians chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be no value to you at all. Again, I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That, that kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who's throwing it, you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever that may be. Well, good morning. Let me again just lift up our time to the Lord as we long for his word to speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, you are good to us. And we thank you this morning that we are children of God, each and every one of us who has received you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that your spirit would minister that to our hearts this morning, that we would remember who we are, that we would rest and rejoice and love because we are free in you. Jesus, would your spirit again fall upon us, minister to our hearts this morning. We acknowledge you this morning as Lord and as Savior. And Father, we want to tell you this morning that we love you. Would you be glorified today, I pray. Amen. There was a New York Times reporter, his name was Nicholas Kristoff. And he went to Cambodia with a specific purpose, and the purpose was to bring two young women who were prostitutes stuck in the brothels, and he came to buy them out of that slavery. And he went in and he met with the brothel owners, and there was the first young woman, her name was Shrey Nath, and he went in and, and did a negotiation with the owner and he was able to purchase Shrey Neth for $150 and bring her out of that 
sexual servitude. There was another young woman. Her name was Shrey Mom. Shrey Mom had a brothel owner who was resistant and yet at the same time was willing to work a deal. It took a little longer, but again, the amount for Shrey Mom was $205 to buy her freedom. But the thing that was interesting, as Christoph had brought Shrey Mom out and started to walk, and, and he had paid the money and he had the receipt because you needed that, otherwise they'd try to get her back. As he was walking her down the road, she tore her hand out of his, and she ran back into the brothel and into her little hell hole. She locked the door, and she screamed, and she cried, and she didn't want to come out. And those in the brothel, those who were the other prostitutes, said, be reasonable, understand your freedom is here, go. And even the brothel owner came pounding on the door and said, this is your one chance, take it. Finally, she unlocked the door and she still came out, but she was weeping and crying and she didn't want to go. And actually, one of the reasons that she didn't want to go is that she had a cell, a little cell phone that she had, her only real form of communication, and she wanted that back. She wasn't willing to go because she needed her cell phone back. Finally, he went and paid for the cell phone as well, and, and they went down the street, but the whole way she was resistant to her freedom. He ended up writing this, I have purchased the freedom of two human beings so that I can return them to their villages. But will emancipation help them? Will their families and villages accept them? Or will they, like some other girls rescued from sexual servitude, find freedom so unsettling that they slink back to slavery in the brothels. We shall see, he writes. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The reason that he came the reason that he died on the cross for our sins, the reason that he rose again, and the reason that he comes into our lives, those of us who would say, Lord Jesus, be Lord of my life, the reason that he came and entered in to be our Savior was so that we would be free. It wasn't so that as we saw him die on the cross and rise again, what? Hey, way to go, Jesus. Good job. Let's just applaud. Wow, that resurrection deal was pretty amazing. He came so that he could dwell within us and that now our lives would be lives that are living in him through the power of the Spirit, that we would actually have freedom, that we wouldn't slink back into slavery of feeling the burden, the weight of trying to somehow be right with God and, and, and make it happen and all the effort that we take that hopefully God will be pleased with us. That's slavery. He came to deliver us from that. And not only deliver us, but now that we would live life in Him, full of hope, a certain hope, 
One day he will come and we will be declared righteous and he will finish it all, the good work that he began. He did not come for us to stay in that brothel, to be broken down and tore down. He came to give us freedom, an incredible gift of grace, like a a beautiful jewel that is handed to us, so precious a stone, that we would realize the, the value of it, that we would guard it with all of our lives. A beautiful gift that was given freely. Can you imagine a key given to one who is in prison? Here, take this. Unlock the cage. You're free to go. It's for freedom that he came. That we would now live as followers of Jesus Christ in the life of him and him alone. That he did it all for us. And what Paul is dealing with with the Galatians, and he's dealing with it over and over again, isn't he? He's saying over and over again, you are being drawn back into a lifestyle that says somehow you are not pleasing enough to me. You're being drawn back into slavery that is saying you have to do these ritualistic acts, circumcision, Baptism, all these things that you have to do in order to be acceptable before God. You have to live a certain Christian way in order to really be pleasing to your loving Father. And I think in the middle of it all, we have forgotten who we are. That you and I are children of God. And like he said when his son came up out of the water and he broke through the clouds and he said, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't done a thing yet. And so is true of you and me. You are my children, those of you who love me and receive me, and I am well pleased with you. The problem is, sometimes, like the girls released from slavery, we we don't know how to handle freedom. It's unsettling to us. We're used to kind of the checklist and and we're used to how to live it out. And sometimes all of a sudden when the Lord says we're freed up, that freedom again, sometimes we we think it means all kinds of different things. And I want to be clear about what the Lord is not saying through Paul. And sometimes again when we talk about freedom, we can get confused about how far that freedom can go. The question really is how free are we? It isn't freedom where we're like an 18-year-old who's just about to head off to college. And for the first time, we arrive on campus and we've been under what feels like the thumb of oppression of our parents, and now we are going to experience life. Paul speaks to that in Romans 6, and he says, Should I keep on sinning so that grace might abound? Absolutely not. You see, because you have died with Christ and you are now made alive to him. You are living unto him. Your life is in him. He in you and you in him. Should you keep on saying, no, you you are dead to that. That's not who you are anymore. Don't take your freedom and take advantage of the precious jewel that has been given to you. Does it mean in our freedom that 
we just go ahead and live in this family of God together and we just say, hey, this is the way I choose to live in my freedom in Christ. You better get with the program. You need to just deal with me the way I am. And if you're not free like I am, well, bummer. Paul says in Corinthians, everything is permissible. You can eat meat, sacrifice to idols. You don't have to be circumcised. Everything's permissible. Not everything is beneficial. He goes on in Corinthians, look to others. Look to love them. Don't just look unto yourself and what your freedom looks like, but now live and love others that they may start to see your joy in the Lord and where that freedom comes from. Not with this arrogant spirit. That's what it is not. But something happened on that day that Christ died for us. Something happened when his spirit invaded our spirit as we received him. We were changed from within, and the scriptures keep trying to remind us over and over again that we are free. Paul keeps saying it because I believe we don't get it. The Galatians obviously didn't, and they kept slipping back into living a lifestyle of of just forced obedience. Let me tell you a few things, a little list. This is not exhaustive by any means. Things that we are freed from when Christ paid the price for us. We're freed from, we are delivered from the power of guilt and sin in our lives. We feel guilty a lot, and he says, I free you from that. That's why I came, to give you life and joy. I'm the one who covered that. We're delivered from the wrath of God. You see, God is a just God, and there will be judgment. There will be an ultimate time when the Lord will face us and we will face him. And there is his deliverance and his judgment. But you know what's true? You are no no nearer to the heart of God than you are at this very moment as children of God. You have been delivered from that wrath. You are free from the tyranny of Satan and his demons. He who is in you is greater than he who is in this world, the prince of the earth. You're not under those chains. You don't have to fear the enemy. He has no control over you. You have power over him because Christ lives in you. He has no victory over you. Actually, the battle has been won and his head has been crushed. You're free from the curse of the law, the law that says thou shalt in order to please God, that you must in order to have his pleasure. You're free from fear of judgment And you're free from an accusing conscience. He has washed that. He has cleansed that. And you have life in him. That is some of the things that we are freed from. But here's what we are freed into. Now that we have gotten out of the brothel, and we're starting to walk down this road, how are we actually walking? What are we freed into? 
We are free to walk now in a new power, and that is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that he has given to each and every one of us who have received him as Lord and Savior. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells within us. And we walk in that power, and we are freed into that. We are now free to obey him. And we are free to be his servant. Not in bondage and in forced servitude. We're free now to say, I love you, Jesus. And out of my love, I walk in obedience to you. We never were free to do that without Christ in our lives. It was servitude in the brothel every day. Do what we say. You're free to love And to give yourselves to others, you're free to release the rights that you thought you had. You never had the power, those rights that you demanded. You're now free to turn those over to our loving Jesus Christ. You're freed into that. And to say, Lord, you are the one who has my life. I turn my rights over to you. And I can do that because your power of your spirit allows me to release that to you. You dwell within me and your life in me now takes that. You're free to relax in God's presence. And you're free to have immediate access into the throne room of God. And it looks like this. Oh, Jesus. Here I am. Dear God. It looks like help. You are ushered right into the throne room of the Holy One. That's what we've been freed into. And Paul is adamant. Who is stealing this from you? Why are you giving that precious gift over so freely? Who is taking away your joy in Christ Jesus? Why is it that you're allowing them to come and to invade? Do you not know who you are? You are my son. You are my daughter. Do you not realize how I pleasure in you? You know, one of the things I love to do with my children, I love playing with my boys. My boys are awesome, and it's just a constant kind of WWE smackdown at my house wrestling match. I love that. I I hurt often. But (laughs) one of the things that we do is, is we make forts together. And, and I love, you know, I mean, it's every pillow in the house, and it's all the cushions off the, off the couches. And, man, we make some cool forts, and there's all kinds of adventures that go on in the fort, and, and it's just fun. But then there comes the time where it's time to clean up. <laughs> and now there's two ways that that can happen. One, I can either say as a father, listen, boys, Time to clean up. Time for dinner. You need to get this picked up. I want it done in 15 minutes or you're going to be in trouble. Get it done. And often, again, what happens as I ask the boys to time or tell them it's time to clean up, you know, one of the boys will say, Daddy, can you help? And I always say, sure. Kina, come on over. Here's the other way that I could respond. When it's daddy, can you help? 
It's I get down on the floor with them. Because you know what? Literally, there is a hundred pillows. And you know what? For little guys, that's pretty overwhelming. I have to pick up each pillow, the little guy thinks. When will I ever complete this task? And so when he says, Daddy, help, I get down with them. And then not only that, we actually have fun in this adventure of cleaning up. And I get down, and they're over by the couch, and I'm tossing them uh, pillows, and they're receiving it like a football, and they're putting it in place. And we get the thing done in a few minutes. And there's actually delight in the task. I asked them to do something, but they delighted in doing it, and they knew that I would be with them. That's our two different views of God. We live in slavery when we think God is just there to tell me what to do, and you better obey. And you've got a hundred pillows to try to pick up, and the task is overwhelming, and you'll never get there. And then they know they've not only disappointed me as a dad, but that I'm angry at them. That's slavery. Or the other is to know that I can ask Daddy for help in this life, and that He is down there with me, and we're doing this task together. We're living in obedience together, His Spirit in mine. And actually, it's a delight. Lo, I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're my beautiful child. And so part of what Paul is trying to pass along to the Galatians is don't forget who you are in Christ Jesus. People are trying to put you to a place where you believe again you have to pick up all those pillows. And you keep working and hopefully, hopefully I'll please God or I'll be in right standing with Him. And he warns them against this slavery that the legalists were putting on them. You've got to do it right. You've got to live this way. And what he says is, listen, you must stand firm like, like soldiers guarding a post and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery, that heavy wood yoke that is put on a beast for the burden of the labor out in the field. That is not why he came. But instead, like the scriptures remind us in Matthew 11, take that yoke that is of Christ, for it is light. It is easy. It gives rest for your souls. You know, in the day of the rabbi, Jesus, and of rabbis of the time, what it was said when you chose to enter in with your rabbi when you gave up your whole life to say, I want to follow the rabbi, it would be said that you would take the yoke of your rabbi. That means that you would take the way of the rabbi. You would choose to follow him. You would choose to live in his way, which produced life. It was the great call of the one, the disciple, who wanted to follow the rabbi. He doesn't want us, he didn't come so that we'd have a yoke of slavery that we feel like we're still having to do, do, do. 
that somehow we've got to get it right, somehow we've got to make it up to God for when we fail. We're His children. And Paul, again, sounds like a broken record, I know. But he's saying, I, I can't have you miss how important this is that you are slinking back into the brothel and you don't even realize it. Who led you there? I've given you this precious gift. I'm here living within you to help you live this life in my way, which is right and true and life-bringing and full of joy. The legalists were robbing them of their joy. That's not what a Christian looks like. How dare you watch that TV show? I can't believe you said those words. God's not happy with you. Somehow they felt like they were God and that they would lay the guilt trip on these young believers in Galatia. And boy, the Galatians again were outcast. They'd given up everything to follow Christ. And so there was a draw to be with a group, maybe some people who would accept them. And Paul says, no! This is not why he came. He came to free you up, to take you out of that yoke. Mark my words. Again, he's strong. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Basically, it says he'll, he'll be of, of no profit to you. You have nullified his work. It has the idea that the Galatians were thinking about, they were actually giving this some thought, that maybe if I get circumcised, like the Jews, then I will receive blessing from my act as I step into this, because that is what I am told is what I receive blessing from. And Paul is saying, that is not the relationship that Jesus wants with you. That is not the type of love relationship, living in the power of the Spirit, that God has intended for you. You see, if you get of the mindset that we do this act in order to receive blessing, then the relationship becomes that of an investor and a banker. God becomes our banker. And we somehow feel, listen, I will invest... And I expect to receive dividends, blessing, from you. If I live this way, if I do these ritualistic things, these religious things, then you will be pleased with me, and I expect that pleasure to show its way in blessing upon me. It becomes almost a demanding spirit from God. Lord, I read my Bible for an hour today. Bring on the blessing. We do that, don't we? The truth is, we have nothing to invest. We have nothing. Christ's investment at Calvary on that cross, that's the only thing that brings righteousness into our lives. It's the only thing that brings life into us. It's the only thing that brings hope. It's the only thing that can wash our sin. It's the only thing that can bring us in beauty before God because he stands before 
the Lord, and all God sees is Christ in us. He says, ah, beautiful. You are my child. Slavers, when we choose to deal with God, that he is our banker and he needs, he needs our investment. He needs all of my effort to produce blessing, dividends. Verse 3 says this. Again, I declare, again, he's saying it over and over. You guys can't miss this. This is no little thing. And and I know this happens because it happens to me as I read Galatians over and over again. You kind of go, come on, Paul, can you just get to the point? Don't you? I mean, you do. It's said over and over again. All Scripture God-breathed, right? All Scripture God-breathed and useful for teaching and correcting, training in righteousness. All Scripture. God, for some reason, realizes that his people are somehow so easily drawn back into this yoke of slavery. And Paul, other than just grabbing them by the neck and saying, get it, I want you to get it. It's really his tone here because... For some reason, they're missing the fact that they are child, children of God. And so I say again, I declare every man who lets himself be circumcised, again, living out, doing all these things that, that apparently will get you pleasure before God, apparently they'll be acceptable, they're obligated to follow the whole law. Meaning, listen, if you're going to choose to live this way, if you want to live under the law and in slavery, you've got to do the whole deal. If you think you're going to get right with me and be able to stand before holy God, then you better do all of the rules and then all of the extra rules that all the Judaizers have placed upon you on how you're supposed to be a Christian. And if you don't, if you miss one of those, if you miss just one, you are dead. That's what Paul is saying. You've got to follow every rule. If you're going to put that yoke on yourself, and if you think that you can just follow a few of the rules, you're kidding yourself. This is why I came. He came to set us free and to live in the freedom that he paid that whole price. There is nothing we can invest. He, he bought it all on the cross. Why do we keep thinking we can add to that? Why do we keep forgetting that we're his beautiful children, forgiven, washed, cleansed? Why do we forget that we can enter into his presence and he's not going, ugh, what a disappointment. That's not God's relationship with us at all. And he doesn't expect from you to be one who is a slave, a debtor to him. There's beautiful indebtedness in the sense, and there's joyful indebtedness, which is thank you, Father, for what you have done for me. I know, I acknowledge, everything belongs to you. It it wouldn't have happened without you. And there's a sense of indebtedness. But where it becomes a problem and where it becomes slavery is when we choose to take that and then we say, I've got to pay back. I'm grateful for what you've done, but now I have to pay back. And Paul is saying, no. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? 
And how Jesus loved that son. That son said to him, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. And he takes off and lives, sows his wild oats. And the loving father the whole time is waiting at the end of the road. And finally one day his son returns. And he rejoices. My son who was lost has now been found. Let us now celebrate the joy of that. And so he throws a party. And there is the older son outside the door Here they are inside celebrating life. A son who was in slavery is now free. But there was another son who stood outside the door, and the father went out to beseech him to come in and let us celebrate life. Your brother has been found. He's home again. You remember the older brother? Father, I have served you all these years faithfully. And that was it. The older son's view of his relationship with his father was that I am your servant, not your son. That is not the relationship that Jesus Christ desires for us. We are not slaves. We are not servants. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God who are free to come into his presence We live in the truth that he loves us absolutely beyond all measure that we could ever even grasp. We live in obedience because it's a joy to pick up pillows with our Father. And somehow we're getting caught in slavery. And when we get caught there, what he says in verse 4 is this. He says, when you choose to live there, you who are trying to be justified by the law, you who are trying to somehow gain more favor from God by doing all these rules. You have been alienated from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. This is a pretty hard verse. You go, what happened? Is this loss of salvation? I don't believe it is. You have been alienated. You have been estranged. You have, again, nullified the work of God. You have severed all that he offers to you. You have put on the Lord Jesus a sign that says, out of order. You have chosen to say, his work is of no value. You have nullified the cross and all that he has done. You've broken off the power of God in your life and allowed him to speak to your heart and somehow, now in the flesh again, What the Spirit began, you are trying to somehow finish in the flesh. Remember Galatians taught us that? You foolish Galatians. That's not our relationship with Jesus Christ. And you have fallen from grace. Do you understand? They received Jesus joyfully. They were living in the joy of the Lord. They were living in his life. They were loving being with him and enjoying and rejoicing in him. You have fallen from grace. I picture it as a beautiful mountaintop, green grass, and in the middle is a spring of of living water, and you were there just rejoicing and drinking from that fountain. And then all of a sudden, like Jack, you went tumbling down that hill, and you broke your crown. You've fallen from the place that was so beautiful and life-bearing, 
And now you come and you feel like you have to take a pail up the hill to get water when the water is just given because you're a child. And God places you right at that fountain. Why? Why have you started to go back to the brothel and, and be forced into servitude? You've fallen from that place of grace. And so he's drawing them back in. And so the Lord is this morning. I want to look down at verse 7 as he warns them again. You were running this good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying truth? Again, a, a sports analogy. Paul loves sports. And you were running along and either someone stopped you dead center or someone put you on another path. They started to say again, you know, what you're doing and how you're living is not enough. Truly, God is not satisfied with you. It's like dancing elephants. You know how they train dancing elephants? They get them when they're really young. And they put these huge, huge, heavy bracelets on their, on their ankles. They weigh a ton. And then there's a chain that goes off them, and then they, they stake them into the ground. And then they tighten those things on there real tight. And they tell the elephant where to go, and it feels the weight of this chain. And, and so then it goes back, and okay, it's firm there. And then they move here, and, and they learn the weight of this. And they are chained in. And they grow up with that. But then they grow up. And you, you'll never see at the circus those animals chained with that weight, will you? What you'll see is a little bracelet small, has no weight hardly at all. It's around their ankles. It's not chained into anything. There is no stake. And yet, they feel the weight of that initial chain and they do the dance. But they're free. They don't even know it. That's what Paul is saying. All of a sudden, they cut in on your freedom. And they started to make you do this dance. And you feel like you have to do the specific dance that they taught you to do because every time that you dance outside of that, you feel the weight. I've created you to be free, to have life in me, to realize that you're my children. This kind of persuasion didn't come from the Heavenly Father. That's not what he intended for you. And, and again, he wants us to take it seriously. If you start to think in your mind that you are anything else but a beloved child of God, that you are now allowed to live in the Spirit, that you're freed up from the, the bondage of slavery to sin, that you're, you're freed up to, to walk in obedience to Christ, if you start to think any way other than that, that little yeast will impact your whole life. It's not a little thing, is what he's saying and that you would live and rejoice in him. And what we do, he says, is this. Hey, if, if, if the cross, you know, I'm still being persecuted, Paul says, and if I'm teaching circumcision, you can hear the Judaizers saying, listen, Paul, you had Timothy circumcised, so obviously you're preaching circumcision. He says, no. If I was... If I was still preaching that way of life, why am I still being persecuted? He says the issue is the cross. It is a stumbling block. 
Basically, the Greek word, it's scandalous. You can't handle the freedom that comes that Christ paid it all. You can't deal with it. And so you have to make all these ways to somehow be able to check that you're doing okay and that you're, you're living, hopefully, hopefully, pleasing to God. But the reality is you can't pick up enough pillows. They can't handle the cross. It's a stumbling block. And so Paul's still being persecuted. And then he gets really strong. He says, the one who is taking you down a path that says anything other than Christ and Christ alone, not only should they be circumcised, let them emasculate himself. You think these are simple, gentle words from Paul? Do you understand the seriousness of what's going on? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the way that we live that out, verse 5, is by faith. By faith, we eagerly await. And we, we, we do that in the spirit of Christ for, for the righteousness for which we hope. That, and it's a certain hope that, you know what, Christ is doing his work in us now, and there is a final day when all of it will be made right. And I live in eager anticipation. And while I'm here in the flesh and in this earth, I, I live in the spirit. And as we live in the spirit, he says this. For in Christ Jesus, neither the circumcision nor uncircumcision, they don't have any value. Here's the only thing that counts. is faith that I know God is who he says he is. I know God is doing this work in my life that he says he does. I know God loves me. I know that, that I, he lives through me. This faith, and it expresses itself in love. We now have the freedom as the Spirit lives in us, to express this freedom in love to others. We have faith that God is who he says he is, my Father, and that I am who he says I am, his child. And so I express in love that same message to each of us who are messy along the way. I can express that love because I know the work of God doing in me. While I wait, I still groan and, and, and you know, I sin and, and, and then I seek for forgiveness and I find joy in that and freedom and then, and then I sin and then I see. And so do all of we. We all do. But now we're free to love each other with grace like he loves us in the spirit. That God, here's, here's the faith that God's doing the, the same work in you that he's doing in me, making us more like himself. That his spirit is alive in all of you. We have the same spirit, people. And so in love, in this faith and through the spirit, I love. And I express the freedom of Christ that he longs for us to live in. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen. Amen.